we learned last week about people skills. We learned that they are the highest paid skill in the world. We learned that even in the professions that pay the most, it makes a world of difference how well they can relate to people. Because if you're a doctor that spent 12 years studying and you're a butt, when people come and meet you, they're like, I don't want, he's a jerk. I don't want him to, no. And they go look for somebody else. If you're an incredible athlete and you're like, athletes make the most money, but no one wants to play with you, then you don't have a team, you have nowhere, and you just lost your great earning potential. We learned that good people skills create opportunity. We say, well, what does good people skills look like? How do I get them? How do I have them? And we learned that Jesus gave us the key in John 13, 35. He said, uh, people shall know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. He, he wound up and said that this is what Christians are supposed to look like. People skills start by loving people, by valuing them. Our first point today is get your eyes off yourself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So often, we get so focused on ourselves and are trying to get other people to focus on us as well. But the Bible says that, hey, get your eyes off yourself. And it's amazing that this is not just like, hey, good advice as a Christian, as a follower of God. If you don't love Jesus, don't know Jesus, that is your loss. But this is still incredible advice. This is just universally recognized great wisdom that God placed in the Bible. And we can see this in a guy in the Bible with a great name. My microphone just started making weird noises. Um, his name was Daniel. It's a good name. Uh, I, I, I like the name a lot. But his, his family was mostly killed. I don't know what it is that's making the weird noise, but if you can get me a handheld mic, I will use it so that I don't just keep walking around sounding like popcorn. But, so his, his family was killed when his city came under siege. King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came and took the brightest, smartest people of the land back to Babylon. So he took the royal family, those that would have been educated. He took the healthiest, the strongest, left, killed most everybody else, and left the really weak. And he uh, deported a bunch of these guys. So he takes him back there, and we discover that he was constantly being promoted, that everywhere that he went... Hopefully this other one's off before I unplug it and take it off my head. It's not working. It doesn't need to be there. Um, and as, as he did, favor kept coming upon him. And you're like, he'd get promoted, different things happened. And so as, as we, we look at him, I'm like, why did he get promoted? Why did three different kings elevate him? Why did he become one of the most influential people in the world? And then when the power shifted, he rose to the top. Again, he kept rising to the top. And one of the times the, that we see him rise up, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. 
and he's, he decided it wasn't pizza. He has a weird dream about a statue that's gold on top, silver, and iron and clay, iron and clay. And, and he goes through this weird dream, and he has it. And he's like, you know what? I think that my dream means something. So he calls in all these different magicians and astrologers and different things. He goes, guys, tell me what my dream means. He said, all right, king, tell us what the dream was. He goes, you're trying to trick me. I know that if I tell you, you're going to just make up bullcrap. If you can tell me what I dreamed, I know that you're telling me the real meaning to the dream. So tell me what I dreamed and what it means. Like, that, 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 that doesn't work. It's not how it works. No, no king has ever asked that before. And he goes, tell me or die. If you tell me, I'll promote you. If you don't, I'll kill you. And they're like, nobody can do that. Fine. Die. I'm killing all the wise men in the country. But nobody can do that. So he's, he, he sends this command and some guys come knock at Daniel's door and they're like, hey, we're here to kill you. Why? Well, they couldn't tell the king is what he dreamed. And he goes, give me a minute. And, and he goes and he prays. I think he actually gave him a night. And he prays. And then he comes back and says, all right, tell the king, um, bring, me, bring me to the king. And when he goes to the king, there was some stuff that he did that I thought was, was strange. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. It's kind of weird. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. Normally, it's like the king said to Daniel, whose name was Daniel. But when, when they took him to Babylon, they wanted to change his name, but he didn't like it. So he still refers to himself as Daniel when he's writing things. But um, they, they, they tried to name him after one of their gods. They said, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream I have seen and its interpretation? And this is where most people will be like, <clears throat> yes, I am awesome. I know that nobody else could pull this off, but that's because they weren't as awesome as me. If only, and you had more people like me. And so, but Daniel answers this. He says, no wise man, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he is made known, and this is where you'd expect to see to me, what you dreamed. But he says, to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days? And your dream and the visions of your head as you lay on your bed are these. And then I got thinking about this. I'm like, you know, he got asked to do an impossible task and he pulled it off. This is, this is like the perfect time to gloat. This is the perfect time to go, booyah, yes. You know, no one can do this, but there's a God in heaven and he revealed it to me. Even when you get like your Christian response of there's a God in heaven and he used me, revealed me, it's what you expect to see. But his response was there's a God in heaven and he's made known to the king. And what he does is he disregards himself and elevates the king. Where most people go, you know what, this is the guy that can promote me. This is the guy who decides what kind of job I have. Let me show him how much better than everybody else I am. And maybe he'll promote me, pay me more, feed me better, give me a better house, bigger house, nicer. At that time, it wasn't going to be a car. It'd be like donkey. But like, whatever it is, this is their chance in front of somebody important to show them how gifted they are. And he, 
instead of talking about himself, just talks about how great the king is. And then in the next um, 15 verses, he goes through and uses, like one time he mentions I, and 12 times he mentions you. He goes through mentioning, he goes, you know, you, king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he, 12 different times he refers to him. And then in verse 46, we find what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of incense be made to him. Then he says, the king answered Daniel and said, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors, many gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And I thought this was strange that he takes this time where he could elevate himself and he elevates the king. And when it's all said and done, the king stops and elevates him. And that's so counter the way that it's normally done in America. Most of the time, we want to elevate ourselves, but what elevated Daniel what largely was his humility. His humility, his consistency, and his love for God and the way that he treated people. He was so full of integrity that later on, two kings later, as he's, as he's serving, people go, He's getting promoted again. We don't want him to get promoted because we want to be promoted. So they're going to try to take him down, which is the normal American way. They're like, all right, let's take him down to the, and so that we'll be the best. And so in this, they're like, well, how do we get rid of him? Well, we dig up crap on him. Like, that's what everyone does. Like, they, they, they find the skeletons in his closet, and they look at Daniel, and they're like, but there is none. Well, what can we find? What is he, he has to have done something wrong at some point. They go, there's nothing. The only way that we can get him is if we make serving his God illegal. He had so much integrity, there was an excellent spirit on him. And I got just thinking about this way that when he elevated others, it ended up elevating himself. But naturally, we want to try to elevate ourselves. Have you ever been around someone who bragged? Ever encountered someone like that? Who just elevated themselves? What kind of feelings did it stir up inside you? Did you think, oh, they are so amazing. If only I could spend more time with someone so great. Or did you secretly inside go, I would love to see them fail right now. <laughs> and you guys are laughing because you recognize this emotion that we go, no, no, I shouldn't have had that. I did have it though. I did feel that way. But we see them and when someone just keeps elevating themselves, like especially if it's like between... Or like right before a, uh, a matchup of some kind of competition, they just start like talking all the smack and you're like, I'm voting for the other guy. Like I gotta vote for somebody. I'm not voting for the other one. And it's just funny because somehow naturally we think if I can promote myself, it will make people like me. But the Bible teaches and experience shows that it goes the other way. That when I elevate others, it will, in fact, elevate me. But when I elevate myself, it will bring me down. 
Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have you ever encountered somebody who, whenever you told a story, always had to tell a better one? Or whenever you're like, yeah, so the other day, you know, I got a B in this class. Yeah, yeah, I was struggling. I got an A minus. And you're like, shut up. You realize how hard I worked to get that grade? Yeah, he's like, I didn't work at all. I'm like, well, shut up again. Like, and like, they, they, they just got this wave. Whatever it was, you're like, you know what? I got this job and I'm getting paid 10 bucks an hour. Like, oh, yeah. yeah I, got, I just got a raise. I'm making 11. Like, shut up again. Like, whatever it is that you say, they just have to find some way to one-up it. I remember I was on a mission trip and I encountered someone like that and he drove me crazy. And then the worst part was I realized that I did it too. And I just didn't like it because I'd do it and then someone else would do it. And you're like, hey. I was like, that sucks. I stop now. I'm like, this is, like, I, I, I want to stop. And then it did, I discovered it was a harder habit to break than I thought. But I was, it was amazing how annoying it was when it was somebody else. And how I think that I did it wanting to be liked, wanting to find a spot to fit in, but watching someone else go, it doesn't make me like them, it doesn't make me want to be with them, it makes me annoyed at them and wish that they would just go away. Hmm. Then how do I do this? I mentioned last week a book that was, is very, very helpful, I think that everyone should read by the time they finish high school. Um, it's by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, or you can get the How to Win Friends and Influence People in a Digital, digital Age edition. Um, awesome, awesome book. You can, you can download it. You can get it an Audible. I did that. I listened to it many, many times over while I was sanding things. I used to, they called me a painter. I didn't paint anything. I sanded everything. So I just sit there and sand. They're like, all right, your job today is go sand that room and the bathroom and, okay, that's one house that they sent me to sand, the master suite. The closet was bigger than most of our bedrooms. It was, an, the house was epic. But I spent the whole day sanding so I could listen, I listened to an entire book in a day. But he learned a lesson from a dog. He says to Tippy, the dog, you didn't need, um, you knew by some divine instinct that you can make more friends in two months by becoming genuinely interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Let me repeat that. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years trying to get people interested in you. Yet, I know, and you know, people who blunder through life trying to wigwag other people into becoming interested in them. Of course, it doesn't work. People are not interested in you. They're not interested in me. They are interested in themselves morning, noon, and after dinner. Test. Anyone ever be in a, in a group photo? When you see the group photo, who's the first person you look for? Okay. It's just this natural thing that all of us, we look at a group photo, and you either look for one of two things. You either look for yourself or the person you have a crush on. Like, like it's one of those two things. You go, ah, yes. Um, and, and if you're lucky, you were standing next to them. But this is, this is what you're, you tend to look for. But... Uh, a lot of times we do. We spend so much time trying to get other people to look at us and we miss out 
and the Bible says to, to take our eyes off of ourselves. When people are naturally interested in their own interests. Does that make sense? It's pretty, pretty simple. You're interested in what you're interested in. People gravitate to conversations that they can comment on. Have you ever walked up to a conversation that you knew nothing about? Yeah. So you walk up to the girls, and they're talking about hair. Like, um, twiddle, twiddle, twiddle. Or is it like awkward? It's all, you know, yep, no. Or the girls walk up, and the guys are just talking cars or mowers or guns or bows. or. And you walk up, and you're like, is that English? Like, no, it's a French braid. No, whatever. Right, so, but a lot of times... We do this, and I've watched, and I've been, been there for some of those conversations where somebody keeps trying to, like, pipe in, and they have nothing worthwhile to say. It's like a fella who's, like, walking up, and he wants to stand by the girls, but they're talking about braiding hair. And you're like, my hair's getting pretty long. Thanks. Could you braid that? And he just, like, has to say something because he wants the attention to turn towards him, but... He knows nothing about the conversation. In when he turns the focus to himself, he highlights the fact that he doesn't know anything. This is sadly common. If that same person would turn the focus off themselves to the other people, they would find they would be elevated more. If instead of sitting here going, well, I had a braid once. Yeah, my hair was down to my eyebrow. Friend braided it for me. It's pretty cool. I think they said it was a French one. If rather than boasting about their one-time braided hair, they were to ask the girls going, okay, so what kind of braid is that? Wow, you did a good job. If they can stop talking about themselves and ask questions whether that's about the braiding of the hair, whether that's about the cars, the bows, the guns, whatever kind of a conversation that you stepped into that you don't have a clue, when you elevate the people, the others there, most of the time they walk away going, hey, that was a great conversation. And you can often go, I didn't say anything. Or all I did was ask questions. Like, it was so nice getting to know you. Like, you didn't get to know anything. I got to know everything. But because that's the number one thing that most people are looking for, when you elevate them, they like having you around. Selfishness doesn't need to be taught. It's kind of like you never need a lesson. Heart beating 101. Think hard. Pump, pump the blood. Pump, pump the blood around, through the van. Like, you don't need a lesson. You don't need a theme song. Like, what is this? This is so I don't really forget to pump the blood. <laughs> How are you in class? Like, you don't need that lesson. Nor do you need a lesson on selfishness 101. I have little children. They come out completely selfish. And they cry and they scream because they want something and they want it now. And you get to try to figure out what it is. But it's this natural thing, and I have watched kids fight over the stupidest 
I have actually watched them fight not only over stupid things, over things that didn't exist. Where they fight over imaginary items. He took my cookie. You were like, he took my binoculars. You were pretending to have binoculars. He took them. Look, there's another pair. And I, I have watched them fight over imaginary things. But when we turn and elevate other people, they want us to be around. I used to work with somebody. They're now pastoring in Texas. Mike Russo. Anyone remember Mike Russo? Have you ever encountered anyone who didn't like Mike? Do you want to know why? Because Mike is a master at making other people feel significant and important. Everybody, when they talked to Mike, felt like they're the most important person in the world. They felt like Mike cares about me. Mike's my friend. And a lot of people, if they were actually asked what they know about Mike, it would be like nothing. But Mike's my friend. Why? Because when Mike sat down, Mike just asked them questions. Mike didn't need to say anything about himself. He would just sit there and, oh, so what's going on? And what's cool? And he would ask, and he would actually care, and he would look at you in the eye. And, like, I sit there and, like, take notes at, at Mike. I'm like, how on earth is he so good with people? I get too ADD sometimes. And it's just, like, this craziness. But ev- Mike elevated other people. And when you talk to people, everybody loves Mike. Because when you elevate other people, not in a selfish, give me what I want, but in a let me just value you, it will build you up. And this is very different than flattery. Flattery is what all of us got good at as little kids. Mom, you look really nice. Can I go to Jimmy's? Like, it was like, you know, like, all right, hey, I have better odds of getting a yes if I start with a compliment. So saying something nice to mom before asking for something. Um, mom, you're such a great cook. Can I have one of your cookies? Um, like, you know, that, that, that was, maybe you didn't do that. I know I did that as a kid. That I tried to use it. Proverbs says that a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. That just flattering people isn't going to get you anywhere. But when you can genuinely go, I'm going to take my eyes off myself. This doesn't mean I'm not going to think well of myself. A lot of people, here, let me, being humble is not thinking, of, thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not going, woe is me. It's going, how can I help them? It's just taking your eyes off of you, not demoting you, but taking your eyes off yourself and looking to others. And when you begin to look to others and you begin to pour out God's love to those that are around you and you begin to elevate them, it will elevate you. You watch at your school this year and there's some people that will try to make their way through the year by pushing others down. There's going to be a lot of them at your your school. They will have superficial friendships where everyone fears everyone in the circle because everyone tears each other down. I was at Granville a few years ago, and I was just amazed. I sat down with a table full of boys, and they just ripped each other apart the whole lunch period. I'm like, with friends like those, no one needs enemies. But if you watch somebody that will build others up, they'll be like Mike. And you talk and you go, you know, they may have different groups of friends, but they're the ones who people will go, every single person 
Every single group goes, I know them, I like them, they're my friend. Last year, I went and got to attend the memorial for Ryan Fisher. It was this year, last school year. And I was amazed because Ryan had that reputation. And I can't tell you how many people got up to the microphone and said, hey, sure he had different friends, but he was one of the few people that was known in every single group. Whatever group, whatever sport, whatever extracurricular activity, he just was nice to people. And he just elevated some others. And you watch where when someone does this, they end up being elevated, being liked across the board, where he, got, he became a leader in a lot of different areas, actually, at the school. Both, he, he led several sp- different sports. Um, and it shifted things. Why? Because rather than going, in order to elevate me, I'm going to push everyone else down, he goes, I'm just going to lift some other people up. And it doesn't make sense that that will elevate you because it makes sense that pushing off others lowers them and makes you stand out. But our world is full of people that are pushing others down. When you take it and you go, you know what? I'm going to show God's love and I'm going to elevate those around me. It says it ends up elevating you. And, and God's, God's plan isn't what the world teaches, but it's the best way. God goes, I want my disciples to be known by the way they love one another. If you don't know God and you don't know God's love, I want to give you a chance to know this love that's supposed to mark us, this love that's supposed to change the way that we live. And you can know that love, you can know that forgiveness, and you can know that you're right with God and on your way to heaven. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you say, I want to know that love, I want to know that God, I want to live for him. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise up your hands nice and high. That's me. I want to know that love. I want to receive his forgiveness. I know that my sins are forgiven. And I'm right with God and I'm away to heaven. God, I thank you for each and every person here. That you would mark us by your love. That we could build others up. That we could take our eyes off of ourselves, and that we could be marked by your love, by your presence, that people would see it and be drawn towards you. We thank you for your amazing word that you've laid out these secrets to success, these secrets to life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.